You fellers ready? Yeah, sir. All right. In five, four, three, two. Welcome back, everybody, to the unsettled, unsettled, uncivilized, uncivilized frontier cromcast, <laughs> season eleven, episode one, the law shooters of Cowtown, wherein we complete our manifest destiny. <laughs> I'm <laughs> Buffalo Punch and Josh. I'm Johnny Bingo. <laughs> and I'm Quick Draw Luke. And we are your gunslinging, rootin' tootin', bean eating. <laughs> I should just been rootin' tootin' Luke. <laughs> uh, hosts for this season of the Crowncast, where we're going down the western road, down that dusty trail, toward the uncivilized lands in the west. To find our fortune and glory, son. It's the time of Quick Draw McGraw. That's right. Yeah. And El Caban. <laughs> That's a deep cut. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, anyway, how's it been going, guys? We, we haven't recorded anything for quite some time. Mostly been doing some Dungeons and Dragons lately. Yeah. Yeah. Getting past the holidays and uh, playing some, some RPGs. Surviving. Scratching surviving in advance. <laughs> yeah. Scratching and surviving. Good times. What are we drinking here tonight on this night of nights? I had a fat tire that you brought with you. That's right. I got a fat tire that I brought with me. Yeah, we've got also some Founder Centennial IPAs if we're uh, if we're so inclined, and we've got some some homebrewed cider if we want to dip into that too. Nice. Is that IPA going to destroy my taste buds, or is it just kind of? <laughs> it's it's no joke. I mean, it's kind of a straight ahead old school IPA, so it's both got the hops and the and the sweet. So okay, yeah. Okay, so I should finish on that. Pro, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Go that's what I, like in, end with that for sure. That's why I was asking. That's what the Cowboys drank though, right? Was IPAs? I think they probably drank some some muddy old, you know, butter's milk. Butter. <laughs> yep. Just black coffee <laughs> and eating beans. These are beans that have been fermenting in my boot. <laughs> and drinking Coors. <laughs> Banquet of beers. <laughs> Are we going to do that? Like we're going to talk like this a bunch. Uh, I feel like I'm going to fade into it quite a bit tonight. So anyway, that's that's what we're drinking. Uh, why don't we do one thing? wants to uh are we still doing clockwise is it john sure let's do that all right uh, my one thing is a game i picked up on the steam winter sale it's called the political process and i really nerded out over it over the last couple of weeks after buying it um basically it's a simulator where you are a part of politics and you can start as low as you want like i'm i started at the city level so i was the uh, the Democratic Party coordinator for the city of Lexington. That's what I got hired as. Nice. And <laughs> I coordinated the school board uh, elections and the city council, and then eventually the mayor's race. Accrued enough political points to do the house race for the state house. And then I ran and won. I was mayor twice in Lexington. Uh, implemented a lot of sweeping policy changes. I legalized cannabis in the city and then slapped it with a 30% tax. Man. So we made some buku dollars that I hired police officers with. Nice. Uh, what, did you push some of it towards education and promote see, I the greater a lot good? Of education policies at the city level, but at the state level, you can implement like universal preschool 
And there's like all these different things. Sure, I'll take another one. Uh, there's all these different things that can, you can propose as legislation. Uh, so then I organized the state Senate race. And now I'm organizing the regional U.S. House race. So I'm in charge of the Democratic nominees for Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Missouri, I think, or something to that effect. It's just, it's like bonkers nerdy. You pick people, you get all the percentages of people that are registered in your different districts. You find out what their policy interests are through polls and surveys. And then you just like plan accordingly and... I probably logged like 20 hours on this game already. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It, I've really enjoyed You've it. accrued some power, though. Yes. I, 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 yeah. So in like 20 years, I've been mayor twice and run a, diff, a bunch of different house races in the state of Kentucky. That's fantastic. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, I've never heard of that game. It's uh, it's still in, is it alpha or beta? Like okay. what, uh, Yeah. There's, it's still it's in not the, out. Yeah. Okay. They're accepting bug reports if you've got them and things like that. So. Okay. It's not completely perfected, but so far I really like it. And what's it called again? The political process. So there's a couple of others like the political machine um, that I guess have been around for a little while longer, but some of them are mostly like mobile games and you just get to pick to be president and you get to pick between the nominees that are in that year. There's another one that it sounds like is pretty good. It's from some group called like the race to 270 or something like that. And it's all about the presidential election. So it's a game that I never knew that I really wanted, but as soon as I found it, I was like, I am going to buy you, this. You can't get enough real politics. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. I've never heard of that game, but now yeah. I want to look it up. There you go. So you sold would, it well. Thanks. <laughs> Your turn. All right, my turn. Uh, I've been sitting on mine for a little while, uh, but it's just so good that I've still been thinking about it even even over the past couple of weeks. Uh, so Mr. Robot finally wrapped up and that's really, that was my one, my one thing that I was really most jazzed about all around the, holo- the, the holiday season and it ended strong. I loved it. So I know I've talked about it before, but if anybody has a, has an itch to, uh, to, to scratch about some sort of weird kind of deep, deep dive, psych, uh, psych- psychological, like techno thriller, kind of four season show get in there get out it's a good story all the way through i loved it i i want to check it out I, I still haven't um i made a point to add the first season to my amazon queue so i've got it cool man. primed but uh i haven't checked it out yet is Remy it Malik. is it cyberpunky mm, not really uh i mean it is it is science fictional but it happens like in 2015 okay like that's the, 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 I think maybe the fourth season happens to sort of fall around the new year. And I think it's like turning 2016. Oh, so it's so all it's, pretty compact. Yeah. It's kind of like how Breaking Bad, like it aged within the, the series structure. And by the time it wraps up, you know, we're, we're a couple of years past, but it has some, in the not too distant uh, future kind of concepts, but it's totally grounded in like real world stuff. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know what that show really was. Yeah. You've talked about it, but I still really don't have a concept for it. John, you look like you were about to say something. I was about to say it's your turn. Oh, it's my turn. <laughs> um, my, my thing is a show as well. Um, I've, I devoured the Mandalorian over Christmas break and uh, I gotta, I gotta tell you guys, 
I am extremely satisfied by that show <laughs> uh, in ways that the the recent film that came out in the Star Wars franchise did not satisfy me. <laughs> you feel like you need to like lay back, wipe the sweat off your brow, and mm-hmm. strike up a cigarette, yes, and just yeah. sort of like yeah. ponder well, the world. Uh-huh. Just lay in there on top of the blankets. <laughs> um, it's a western. It's 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 everything. Did you guys see Solo, the Solo movie? I did not. Yeah. So uh, I won't say anything too spoilery about it, but that that movie has a lot of the the nuggets that I think form some of the inspiration for the Mandalorian. And so, for instance, even if you if you watch the trailer for Solo, you'll see there's a train robbery. I was about to say, isn't there a train robbery? Yeah, yeah, there's a train robbery. (laughs) There's, uh, you know, you're doing jobs for this uh, this person that sort of got you. Uh, and it's taken advantage of you, right? Um, and so there's a lot of these tropes that are present in Solo, and The Mandalorian is the perfect sort of um, conception of Star Wars as a Western. And I just felt great watching it. I had a, I had a great time watching it. Uh, just love it. I, I can't say enough good about it. It's, it's, it, just, it just worked. Yeah. Uh, and it made me want to be part of of that world sort of like it 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 is evocative of both the the old west kind of spaghetti western and george lucas's original like star wars a new hope yeah yeah it's just kind of dirty lived in you know um it's it's just so good and the um the reason that i chose this because i was waffling back and forth between a couple of things um is I noticed that one of the directors on one of the episodes, uh, Deborah Chow, directed some episodes of Mr. Robot as well. Oh, cool. Um, and so she's done a number of, of cool projects over the, the last few years. Uh, the Man in the High Castle. Um, she, uh, I'm, I'm grasping to remember some of the other things that she was part of. Um, cool. So the other creative minds behind this, I, I guess the whole thing is kind of being driven by John Favreau right. who initiated the Marvel movies, right. With Iron Man, but Taika Waititi is uh, involved as well. And he directs an episode. Okay. And, so he does direct. Okay. Yeah. Is he in it as well? He's a voice. Yeah. He's a voice. Yeah. Okay. He's a voice for a uh, combat droid. Okay. It's great. Oh yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah, the IG 11. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed too. Like, so, so at this point, I've watched about half of it. I guess I, I went back and rewatched the Gunslinger after we talked about it, yeah. Josh. So that's where I'm at. So I only have a. I guess I only have like I'm over the halfway point. Okay. But like the fourth episode is called Sanctuary, and it's directed by uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. That's what I was about to say. Yeah. yeah. So it really is a cool uh, mix of directors. But you and I were talking about it briefly the other day. Uh, and actually, I guess all three of us were like, one of the things that I really like is it, it's not, it's not a monster of the week. It's an adventure of the week kind of story almost. And it is throwbacky in that sense, not like being a pastiche, just like that's the narrative structure. It's, mm-hmm. it's nice that it is a, uh, a show like that. It's, it's like Star Trek or, or some serialized story where, you know, you know what the, the broader sort of tale is like right. we're on a five year mission to explore strange new worlds right. here. We're, we're trying to protect 
this asset from this remnant of the empire. Mm-hmm. And it's man, it just it just it works. Dare, dare you say it's a bit pulpy? Like it, it's a lot. It's a lot pulpy. It's a lot westerny. Yeah. Um, the soundtrack reminds me of uh, if Trent Reznor and uh, Ennio Morricone had a baby. Yeah. I love the little <laughs> like the, the the little the the beat that it that it feeds on. I think I, I mentioned this to you too. Like one of the things that I really liked about it, and it just struck me like after the first episode, and it seems like all of the episodes have that. Like the end credits have that sort of like painted Frazetta style oh, yeah. art, and so if you're just zipping through, or if it's if it's on the autoplay, like if like Disney or whatever is just wanting to like keep it moving, like watch it all because it is beautiful. And so I guess they just I don't know for sure. It seems like they must have taken specific stills. It seems like some of them aren't necessarily stills or images from the episodes. They're just like inspired by bits. Yeah, it, it looks like concept art or like storyboard art or something. But somebody just went to town yeah. like prettying that up. Like one of the I guess the one that really struck to me was like. Uh, there's IG-11 that you mentioned and the Mandalorian. And there's from that first episode, like the two of those dudes, like saddled up badass bounty hunter style. And it's just so iconic and star Wars yet Western at the same time. It's, it really is just beautiful. Yeah. And man, I, I, I hope that we can get into some more Mandalorian talk at some point, John, Please sign up for a, a trial of Disney Plus so you can you you can blow through this show. It's okay. uh, the episodes are anywhere between thirty six and like forty five minutes. I have accrued a lot of sick days. There you go. Um, you could you could knock it out in a day or two. <laughs> yeah, I think I watched at most. So I've I'm on episode five. I watched it over like two nights, and then I went back and rewatched the Gunslinger because I was kind of like got tied up mm-hmm. with that last episode. So I watched either two or three episodes at a stretch, but they're all fairly. Like you can rip through it. It's an hour and a half, like, you know, to get through two or three episodes. Nice. Yeah. Is bounty hunting, like, the number one or number two profession in the Star Wars universe? I, I would say uh, <laughs> moisture, like moisture, moisture, moisture farmers. farmers. Moisture farmers. Up yeah, there. Spice Runner is up there. Wait, are we talking about just the local economy of Tatooine or? Uh, well, we could be because yeah. uh, all of these illicit things happen there. That's true. Yeah. A more wretched hive of scum and villainy. That's right. You must be cautious. <laughs> We got to talk about something other than Star Wars because I could go on all night. Are there any Star Wars podcasts? Would we have competition if we started? I, I, don't, I think we are the very first person to talk no, about Star no Wars. No one's stuff. ever talked about this before. Whoa, I, I love hearing that. Yeah, so. it's, it's total. It's it's just like our theme. It's virgin territory. Breaking new ground. We're, we're striking out. Three jolly, three jolly Jawas just chewing the fat about Star Wars. Hopping. What is he? So in that episode. The Mandalorian refers to their, does he call it uh, their land fortress or like their moving fortress? He uses some sort of term. for the Jawas, like sand crawler thing? And I thought it was like the perfect, I'd never like thought about it as like a, I think he uses the term like moving or rolling fortress or something. You're right. I don't remember the exact term. But it's like, oh yeah, well that's totally what that flipping thing is. It's like, oh, here's my my entire house, like, duplex structure. <laughs> yeah, right. And all of my family and all of my friends. <laughs> Being buttholes. <laughs> well, uh, look forward to more Mandalorian talk as we progress through this, yeah. this season, because it is it is a space western. And that's three things that you can take and enjoy that we call One Day.
Sweet. Yeah, sweet. Double sweet. Triple sweet. <laughs> Triple sweet. Um, all right. So we've got a Robert E. Howard story again tonight, right, John? Well, we picked Westerns for the season. We yeah. kind of we vote uh, sort of democratically after one of us comes up with a list of things, and I put together this Western list, and we seem to be okay with it. Mm-hmm. So in terms of Westerns, like, what is your guys' personal history with the genre? Like, where do you come from in terms of knowing about it and enjoying it? That's a good question. Uh, I remember my grandfather reading Louis L'Amour paperbacks when okay. I was really little. Uh, and I didn't really get interested in Westerns until I was in high school. Okay. And the the first one that really captivated me was Tombstone. <laughs> and I, I feel like it's probably cliche now, but back then it was fairly new. Right. Um, I just, I loved that movie. I had it on VHS. I watched it over and over. Thought it was great. Didn't really think about it in terms of its deeper themes just really loved the way it felt the characters the iconic lines like val kilmer's doc holiday is is just when you say who's your favorite western character or yeah it's it's that so for me it's it's tombstone just looking back at it but you know knowing now as an adult that my uh forebears really Doug Western stories is, is pretty neat moving into this and, and exploring this genre that my, my, uh, grandfather totally dug. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I have a pretty long sort of backstory with, with Westerns. Uh, so I grew up in Western Arkansas in the nineties. You lived it. I live the, <laughs> the wild west now, but 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 I did live uh, just like sixty or seventy miles south of Fort Smith, Arkansas, and just sixty or seventy miles away from like Dardanelle, Arkansas. And, like those are jumping off points for like True Grit starts in Dardanelle, uh, and then lots of uh, uh, types of stories start out or or pass through. Like Western Arkansas was very much the passage into Oklahoma, which of course was like Indian or Native American country, uh, and then to Texas, right? Like that's the <laughs> that's the that's the the route west. I mean, you might go south from St. Louis to get down there, but that's it's definitely part of that. Uh, so, like, I grew up a little bit with that kind of baggage, but I guess you know. So where and when I grew up, like my cousins uh, lived out on, you know, a country road kind of thing away from uh, uh, solid television reception even. But my aunt and uncle had this big old, you know, like television that had like the wood paneling like it was like a big it was a big oh, fixture yeah, yeah. in the in the living room right we all kind of remember that if you if you were a child of the 90s Did you or the it? 80s <laughs> well uh they like it was it was hooked up to a vcr because that's yep. like we had a like my my aunt sandy and my uncle dan had a vcr uh but they didn't get like standard television reception but they had i don't know like a cabinet just full of various vhs movies uh like like you know dubbed like taped mm-hmm. westerns and like my my grandma kareen was like a notorious like taper of of things like she's just just hoarded them uh and she actually they had a satellite dish and so loads and loads of westerns and so it was the classic like westerns on Repeat. So, I mean, I don't know how many times I watched like John Wayne, the Cowboys or, uh, the searchers to some extent, but a lot of like, like, uh, you know, Rooster Cogburn, like a lot of like the classic, uh, John Wayne Westerns 
were like perpetually on in the background of my youth because I would stay over at my cousin Jacob's house and we would like roll around on the floor wrestling or whatever. And then we got, you know, older and we were early teenagers playing like Magic the Gathering. And so like the Western was on in the background and we were there like on the floor. Or maybe when we were younger, like playing Monopoly, doing that kind of stuff. So, so loads of like the classic John Wayne Westerns and even more to the point, like the black hat, white hat type Westerns, not so much the, uh, you know, Clint Eastwood, man with no name Westerns that came earlier, or I, I should say that came later, you know, once I kind of like, uh, got older and actually came back to the Westerns as like a trope that was something that I recognized from my childhood that I wasn't like resisting. And I was like, holy crap, the man with no name and Sergio Leone and the spaghetti Westerns are just like, they're the bee's knees. And like, that was something that I came back to. So, so I have like that kind of connection with movies and, uh, again, my, my cousin Jacob and I growing up, we had Louis L'Amour paperbacks, like, uh, some of the various, uh, names of the, the books that stand out, like the, what, like the shadow or the showdown at Yellow Butte was one that I looked up. Like that was a, a one that I had. Lando is this, this Sackett kind of Western. That's also like a boxing, like Irish kind of story. That was one that stood out. Uh, Conagher, like a lot of the, the Sackett stories were ones that my cousin Jacob and I read. And we of course had just like paperbacks that we passed back and forth. And it's funny, like at that point in time, reading these books, I don't know, circa 1992 to 1996, uh, I thought they were just like from the eighties <laughs> or yeah. maybe the seventies. And they weren't, I didn't realize they were such old stories. And I was, a, I was a smart kid. I could have checked the copyrights. I guess like I didn't think enough and, and realize how those stories were grounded, in the, in the sort of pulp tradition and were older than what I was reading. So, yeah, so I read Westerns, you know, in that very, like that early teen window. And I kind of grew out of that and got into the science fiction and fantasy and horror and the genre stuff when I was later in high school. Uh, I grew up with John Wayne movies. I kind of came back around to it, you know, late college and into grad school and just loved it. Yeah. That's awesome. It sounds like it was really big part. It of, was yeah. formative. And it's, it's, it's the classic kind of thing of like, like you grow up <laughs> in, in, uh, in the South and country music is just ubiquitous <laughs> and you revolt against it. Uh, and then you grow up and you realize there's, there's, there's good bits and pieces to that. Like, like I grew up hating country music and the kind of music that I listened to as a child, I still, I still hate a lot of it, but I realize now that there was also a lot of good, uh, country music that I was, I wasn't subjected to, like I was experiencing. Mm. It's just, you know, you kind of, you kind of come back around to that stuff that, you know, inspired, like inspired you as a youngster. You just didn't realize it at that point in time. <laughs> yeah. Well, they didn't play, the you know outlaw country music so much on popular right. country stations when we were kids right it was yeah. all uh watermark Mar- marty stewart and <laughs> alan tippin <laughs> yeah. yeah 
Clint Black and the Judds. I don't want to hear any more Garth Brooks, damn it. You know, like you just <laughs> right, result, exactly, yeah. you just revolted against that. But but then also <laughs> you were steadily being filtered, like you were being being fed your your Willie Nelson and your Merle Haggard and all of the other outlaw country, like and and just pure stuff. Like I remember too growing up, and this is this is a slight tangent, but like my Aunt Sandy again, like at their house. There was a tape deck, and she would always play like gospel music growing up. So I didn't really grow up with bluegrass per se. A lot of the music that's kind of like folk-ish and uh, in, in Arkansas that I grew up with was more like gospel country type stuff. Right. And a lot of that was really beautiful and great musicianship and that kind of thing. But of course, I did not like it at the time, and now I can appreciate it for for what it was and is. I really hope Garth Brooks is a listener of the show. Man. I heard you say that just a second ago. I, I hope Aaron Tippin doesn't listen because I called him Alan Tippin a second ago. I'm so embarrassed. It's okay. We forgive you. And he forgives you. I hope so. What about you, Josh? What about what about uh exposure to the uh the the Wild West? Well, like I said earlier, I, I remember when I was a kid watching Gunsmoke and right. and, and Bonanza. And things like that at my papa's house. Yeah. Um, and so th- those are the things that really stick out the most. Um, but yeah, it, 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 for me, it really wasn't as as formative when when I was growing up. It's only in my adulthood that I've gotten into West. Yeah, I should have framed that like like the the trans. Like, did you watch more of it? later like whenever you and i started hanging out like i know we watched a a bit i actually have watched more westerns with you than anyone else uh we we watched all three of the the man with no name um we watched once upon a time in the west um unforgiven uh probably we watched tombstone together at some point because i've i've watched that movie with (laughs) almost everyone um yeah so i would say probably i've watched more westerns with you than than anyone else you definitely proselytize the genre to me as well like i have no real background with it as a child. Yes. Yeah. Tell uh, us about it. Well, my grandpa watched some of it uh, growing up. He called it knockdown drag out movies. Like okay. he liked those kinds of Westerns where people were like, ah, and falling over. And, right. Right. You know, um, and I would watch some of that with him, but it didn't capture me the way it was. It was a formative thing for him. Like he grew up with those things and I think that's why he enjoyed them. But my background with the Western genre would probably be like Oregon trail and history books and reading uh-huh. about Westward expansion and, finding it fascinating to like put yourself in the mindset of a pioneer and thinking about what that would have been like to go West and fight through all that stuff. I think that's one of the more interesting tales that we have in American history. So yeah, I always kind of dug that, that angle on it. You played but Oregon trail. I love some Oregon trail. When you were little though. Yeah. I mean, we had it at the school at Catholic school. That's that was like the one computer game that we had that wasn't Bible man. Yeah. <laughs> so how far did you get? Oh man. I got. I think I got through Utah once. The problem was always that computer time ended before yeah. I could get too far, and it didn't seem to save, or somebody would save over my game. I always bought too many bullets and not of medicine, and everyone got dysentery and died. I got a lot of snake bites. It felt like back yeah. in the day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it also seems like Robert E. Howard had a lot of in sort of formative experiences with westerns. I don't really know a whole lot about where the western genre was at when he was growing up and reading, but as a guy that kind of traveled through Texas, like if we go through this one book that I have uh, from Bison Press, The End of the Trail Western Stories, it's edited and has an introduction by a friend of the show, 
Rusty Burke. I, I know him. We know him. We know him quite well. We've drank several liters of alcohol with him That's it. digitally. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> uh, in person and uh, uh, distant. He has this quote from Howard that I thought was really interesting and kind of can help us frame maybe what we talk about with him in terms of Westerns. It says, I was born, Howard wrote, in the little ex-cow town of Peaster, about 45 miles west of Fort Worth in the winter of 1906, but spent my first summer in the lonely dark valley among the sparsely settled Palo Pinto Hills. From then until I was nine years old, I lived in various parts of the state, in a land boom town on the Stake Plains, near the New Mexican line, in the western Texas sheep country, in San Antonio, on a ranch in South Texas, in a cattle town on the Oklahoma line, near the old North Texas oil fields, in the piney woods of East Texas, finally in what later became the central West Texas oil belt. This is when they moved to Cross Plains and settled down for the remainder of his life. So he kind of lived, like I joked about you, he lived the West. He was around some of these people that were probably settlers and was exposed to their folk tales and to their traditions. Yeah. And so I think that he was he was born to write Westerns. I w- and that's one of the reasons I'm excited about this season. And I mean, of course, Texas is a big, right. it's a big place. It's like a whole other country, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, but th- him to have lived in all of those various parts of the state, like, that's, that's a lot. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, it is such a massive and varied topography and region. And there's lots of different sort of, uh, Things that we think of as like Western, right. like my conception of of Texas and Texans as a child was like East Texas, like that's the piney what I, woods. <laughs> yeah, right. the, and piney woods and uh, arid, but not the blasted desert of like West Texas. Like I didn't see that until I was in college and, and took a field trip. And when I went to Big Ben, it blew my flipping mind. Like right. <laughs> like to go out and just be I know we've talked about this like as a as a group, like to be sort of naked in this broad oh, moonscape okay. expanse where you just feel like you can be seen from miles or all around because you can. Like that's the West, but also the deep dark glens of of the pine trees is the West. Okay. And the the rolling grasslands of like the western parts of the Midwest are the West, mm-hmm. and like right. and the Rocky Mountains are the West, right? <laughs> and the hill country of Texas, yeah, is, which is pretty different. Oregon, the Oregon, right. like the Oregon, <laughs> Oregon as a destination, like uh, San Francisco and California, like that's the West. So it's cool, and I I hope that we get to see a lot of different places beyond just Texas. But right, there's lots of places to talk about that are Western. I think mm-hmm. Texas as a Western story setting is is interesting as well because of the Southern aspect. Like I know you get some of that with Arkansas, but oh yeah, like, Texas has the Southern, the Western, and the Texan identity all kind of blending together it seems that seems right for storytelling prospects to me yeah you get to you get to talk about the civil war right like that's what you get to do in places like texas and arkansas that don't happen perhaps if you're if you're telling a nevada story or a utah story or an oregon story (laughs) (laughs) we need uh our our friend ben freeberg to That's give us some some more information about uh, Texas and its place in history and its its role as a character in in these stories and as a uh, kind of a muse in Howard's writing. Yeah, speak uh, up, Texans. Let us know. Yeah. So so Ben <laughs> does a podcast about the history of Texas. That's right. That's and right. so we'll have to post a link to that in the show notes. Cool. Uh, 
So some of the other stuff in this introduction by Rusty that he talks about with Howard is about, I think it's kind of interesting just to talk about the what ifs of Howard. I know we've done that several times on our podcast, but it seems to me like this Western angle is kind of the biggest what if maybe of his literary career. There seems to be a lot of consensus that if he had survived, if he had lived and not killed himself, that this would have maybe become his genre. Like he would have become a Western writer and that he would have probably achieved some renown in that arena. Like it seemed like he was kind of well on his way. You say that on the basis of his popularity or the number of stories or the number of stories and like where he seemed to be heading in his own headspace. Rusty talks about some of the different letters that he's written to people around the time that the Breckenridge Elkins stories and some of his other Westerns that we're going to talk about are kind of taken off. He was publishing a lot in the genre. And so he tells August Derleth in November of 1935, He says, I'm seriously contemplating devoting all my time and efforts to Western writing, abandoning all other forms of work entirely. The older I get, the more my thoughts and interests are drawn back over the trails of the past. So much has been written, but there is so much that should be written. So it seems like it was pulling him in. Uh, Rusty also talks about where a period in his life where he kind of moved away from Westerns. His first publishing is really in this genre. His first two accepted stories in The Tattler, his high school newspaper, were Westerns. The Golden Hope Christmas and The West is West, which I assume is a Western. That's story. a great name. <laughs> uh, so those were in 1922. When he was 15, which I would reckon is 1921, he uh, submitted his first story, and it was a Western, Bill Smalley and The Power of the Human Eye. But then in 24, he had his first sale to Weird Tales. Um, he kind of stayed in that arena for a long time. In 28 to 29, he came back to Westerns with some effort. Um, there was a, a period in 1930 where Tevis Clyde Smith was publishing on Texas history. And it seemed like at that time, right before that, uh, Howard had been really kind of consumed with Irish history and the Turlow O'Brien stories and Bram McMorn and stuff. Mm-hmm. But when Tevis Clyde Smith was writing his history stuff, uh, Howard started to kind of follow that path. And I guess interviewed old settlers and pioneers oh, cool. and wrote some history stuff for the Texaco newsletter. Interesting. Uh, so it was an actual like oil company publication and he was feeding them articles, which I think is kind of cool. And then in 34 to 36, we kind of saw this explosion with the Breck Elkins stories that we'll talk about later in the season and some of the other Western stuff, but he was definitely getting into it. Even Lovecraft seemed to think pretty highly of it. Uh, he said in, a, in his memorial that he wrote about Howard, that Howard was steeped in the frontier atmosphere. Mr. Howard early became a devotee of its virile Homeric traditions. Mm, His knowledge of its history and folkways was profound, and the descriptions and reminiscences contained in his private letters illustrate the eloquence and power with which he could have celebrated it in literature had he lived longer. So it just seems to be this like consensus for Derleth, for Lovecraft, uh, that this was going to be maybe where he would move and there's people that even write today that seem to think like I know Mark Finn has talked about it before in some mm-hmm. of his writings about it seems like this could have been Howard's meal ticket. Like he could have even outgrew Conan uh, by being a Western writer and a regionalist after after all of this kind of went down, mm-hmm. which and I think is cool. That is cool. I, I remember our first conversation with Mark. We asked him where he thought Howard's career was was going to go. And we we kind of suppose that that maybe you know, he would have gotten into comics because maybe yeah. his connection to uh, Lovecraft's um, uh, editor, right? Right. Uh, why can't I think of his name? 
Uncle Julie Schwartz. Schwartz, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, would have kind of let let him into comic books. Right. Um, but but Mark said that maybe uh, instead he would have been in the the western genre more. So yeah, it it does seem like the um, popular sort of opinion is that that's where his career would have gone. Here's another quote on it from George Knight, who's a critic. I'm not, I don't, I'm not familiar with his work, yeah, but says doubtless had Howard lived his efforts within the Western story could have led him to approach that form with the same tough attitude that characterizes his fantasy. It's interesting to think he might've taken the Western along a similar line of development as Hammett took the detective tale. Hmm. So there just seems to be this consensus that Howard was probably onto something mm-hmm. with his, his Howardian, western work where we see some of these tough characters popping up it wasn't the the black hat and white hat kind of approach that maybe mm-hmm. predominated the field but shade, shades of gray it's funny too to think about like i don't know like the maturity of howard like that that he was kind of maybe growing towards that direction and he had his more fantastic characters also that if he went towards that it would be uh i don't know like abandoning the fantastic yeah in a way, I don't know if that's something to that's just occurring to me. So it's a little bit half baked. Well, no, I, I think, think that's be- interesting too because if you read through some of this other literature, it talks about Howard is the inventor of the weird western. Mm-hmm. So I think that he could have even bridged the gap yeah. between these two genres. Like I think he could have lived in all three at the same time if he really wanted to. Yeah, uh-huh. and and we see that in Beyond the Black River, right? right. The Conan tale right. that is a western, but it's a sword and sorcery story as well, and the the Picts are simultaneously representing the native peoples, but also this, uh, ancient sort of mystic tradition. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I say that on the basis though, like, because it strikes me that, that what you're referring to there though, John, is that if he was pursuing more, these Western stories, they wouldn't necessarily have been like, yeah, the weird Western or the fantastic Western, but like the regional Western, like Louis L'Amour kind of thing. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. He could have been a great Texan Western writer. Yeah. And my papa would have been reading Robert E. Howard right. Western paperbacks right. in addition to Louis L'Amour. There's some universe where it happened, I suppose. Yeah. I just like what ifs, and I think this is kind of the cool what if maybe of, of Howard's latter career. So you mentioned the weird Western. Yeah. And before we delve into the story, I want to ask before we talk about Westerns uh, at length, what, if any, what subgenre of Westerns? Outside of the, I guess, what we would call the the norm or the typical Western, do you guys enjoy? Well, let's define maybe some of that typical Western first. Luke had a cool list that kind of typified what we would see in most oh, Westerns. Oh, yeah. And so, we shoot off yeah. This is the, of course, like the font of knowledge. Wikipedia <laughs> has, let me see, I pulled the screenshot. Wikipedia has time. references, darn it. That's right. I mean, like, you can't, it's, it's legit. So, uh, author and screenwriter, Frank Gruber uh, describes seven basic plots for Westerns. One, the Union Pacific story wherein the plot concerns the construction of a railroad or a telegraph line. Uh, wagon train stories fall into this category. Two, that would be we would be talking about a ranch story wherein there's like uh, rustlers, like cattle rustlers or large landowners that are trying to force people out of their homes. Three, uh, the empire story. Uh, involves building a rancher empire or an oil empire from scratch, a classic like rags to riches story. Uh, four would be the revenge plot. The plot often involves or an elaborate chase or pursuit of a wronged individual, but may also include elements of a classic mystery. 
five, the Calvary and Indian story, so-called, wherein the plot revolves around the taming of the wilderness for white settlers. Uh, six would be the outlaw story, wherein outlaw gangs dominate the action. And seven would be the martial story, wherein the lawman and his challenges drive the plot. Like, those are common yeah. sort of, like, plot uh, plot structures for for the West. I think also, though, you can kind of typify Westerns according to maybe, like, uh, the time at which they're written. Because there's, of course, like, these themes that sort of pop up. Like, spaghetti Westerns are different than, like, the, what, like the... The neo western, oh, the neo western, or like the 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 Ford Fordian like epic westerns. What's the term? Is it like it's not cinescope? Like what's the like the the color? Technicolor. Yeah, like technicolor westerns, which are like these broad, uh, sort of like cl- more classic sort of stories, and that's like you know that dates after I don't know black and white. Uh, more more classic westerns of like the fifth, like the early fifties era, like you've got all and, and here we're just talking. I'm talking about movies because right. <laughs> that's where my mind's going. Mm. But but there's lots that we can unpack here. Um, in doing research for this episode in the season, I found a uh, a list on TVTropes.com. Are you guys familiar with the website? Yep. Yeah, yeah. So on the uh, westerns subsection of TV tropes. Uh, and I don't know who wrote this, but uh, I can post a link to it. It says, Much has been made of the distinction between the classic Western and the revisionist Western, the former being shiny and heroic, the latter darker and edgier, and often embodying a paradox. Quote, Civilization can only be defended from barbarians by men with guns, but once you pick up a gun, you become a barbarian yourself. Right on, dude. Yeah. <laughs> the history of America. <laughs> right. And so that is, that's the revisionist Western is the latter one where you yeah. get the civilization versus barbarism inversion. Is so that you, a subgenre then? Revisionist Western? I, I don't know if I would call it a subgenre so much as maybe just a, a division. Okay. Maybe. I can see that. So I think that is an interesting way to talk about Westerns, but also to th- talk about fantasy like the high versus low fantasy or the sword and sorcery versus the more like uh tolkien-esque more epic fantasy like epic fantasy yeah there we go i think that you could almost have like standard fantasy with sword and sword and sorcery functioning as like a a revisionist fantasy like in the in the sort of the the vernacular, mm-hmm. I'm using my big words here. I like that. Put word. on my big boy pants. I'm using my big boy words here. <laughs> <laughs> like that you that you're talking about there, but it is it's all about sort of inversions. Yeah, and so we'll be using that sort of th- those points as a framework for this this season and these stories as we move through. Let's talk about those subgenres then. Okay. So the the subgenre that you brought up was Weird West. Which I would probably put as my favorite. If Why? that's what you're uh I like weird stuff, I guess. Um You do like weird stuff. <laughs> and when I think of that genre, I think of Jonah Hex, which Luke and I talked about a few months ago when I first moved back because I was showing him my collection of Jonah Hex comics. Uh I think of it as a weird western because he goes through Lots of weird supernatural events, and he goes through 
lots of different kinds of trials and endures a lot of mysticism in his his time, even though he's not a believer yeah. in it seemingly. Um, but he sees a lot of weird stuff. He sees some body horror stuff at different points. The one issue I remember showing Luke was where he walks up on a farm where a woman has been capturing men that are traveling and she chops their legs and arms off and their noses and makes them pretend to be pigs in her barn and feeds them that way. And Jonah Hex like stumbles onto this lady doing this and has to deal with her because she's trying to do it to him too. Um, I think that's pretty weird. <laughs> that is weird. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So I would pick, I would pick weird Westerns probably. Okay. I'm going to apologize for my, my, my poor count. It's just some eating ice and some light too. ASMR content. Yeah. For our my, I'm sorry. <laughs> dog, get my dog is yeah. in his business. All right. All right. So, sorry. I didn't mean to like pull us aside. No, no, no. Uh, so I guess my Western subgenre would be space Western. Ooh. Um, like the Mandalorian, but okay. also like Firefly. I was going to say Firefly. Yeah. yeah. I, I like the idea of the frontier being space okay. and these unexplored planets and, and kind of being far away from the core of civilization, kind of on the, the edge. Um, pair that with, with some spaceships and some, some outlaws and some blasters and, and you got me. I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm in. Good pick. Good pick. Thanks. You got a subgenre, Luke? I like, I mean, I like a lot of the revisionist Western stories. I like spaghetti Westerns. I like many of the contemporary Westerns. Would you say noir Western is a thing? Yes. I like, and and I don't necessarily think that the neo Western and the noir Western are the same thing, but if you have something that aligns with both of those, that's my wheelhouse. I, I really, I really love those. So, and I like revenge stories too. So anything like that. So like, I love the searchers, even though it's like, I shouldn't say even though it's a John Wayne movie, I like some John Wayne movies, but I am not the world's biggest like John Wayne Western fan. And I think part of that's still some of the baggage of like my childhood. Like I still (laughs) feel like I need to be like a little bit like anti John Wayne. And he's the establishment. That's right. Yeah. Clint Eastwood is like the, the, the opposite, which is funny given Clint Eastwood, like (laughs) in 2019, but, (laughs) but like the man with no name and Sergio Leone and anything that's like from, from that kind of thing. Yeah. John Wayne never yelled at a chair on stage. That's, that is true. (laughs) He had dignity in in his, (laughs) yeah. Uh, So Yeah. The, those are the chosen subgenres. Okay, I'm kind of surprised with you, Josh, but yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna bait things here okay. that you didn't pull like the samurai card. Oh man, as yeah. like your other sort of like Western kind of yeah. Kinda I, I guess I wasn't thinking of of the Western as a subgenre of samurai movies, but sa- uh, no, I wasn't thinking of samurai movies as a subgenre of Western uh-huh. stories. Or the other way around. Yeah. Um, and it's so, you know, everyone makes the comparison between um, the band with no name and Kurosawa's films, right? right. Um, you know, take the Seven Samurai and set it in the West and you have the Magnificent Seven. Um, animate it and uh, feature different insects and you have a bug's life. Right, right. You know, the, the, these tales are um, resonant right. and you they're... they're um, malleable you can put them in many different settings and they they work really well yep. so i i guess i yeah i wasn't really thinking about the 
samurai tale as as a western subgenre, but like a parallel sort of dimension to yeah to that. That's yeah, that's right. I, I mean, you're right. Like that's they're just so closely aligned, and I know they are. You have such a an affinity for a lot of a lot of the the, the sort of like samurai and and Asian stories. It's I love I yeah. love <laughs> Lone Wolf and Cub, right? Okay. Which have you, are you familiar with it, John? Oh, yeah. yeah. So it has a lot in common with uh, the story in The Mandalorian. Okay. Um, there's some direct parallels and and uh, influence there. What about like Western anime? Was that a thing that you were into? So there are some Western animes. There's there's one called Trigun. I was gonna say, are you into Trigun? I, I did like Trigun okay. a lot as it was coming out. I watched uh, I watched it. I picked it up on DVD as they as they were released. Nice. Um, and it's fun. It's it's a science fiction Western right. sort of. Um, his arms are guns. His arms are guns. Okay. Yeah, and he, he uh, Vash the Stampede Vash is a weapon. Yeah, and he's got like really dope sunglasses. Yeah, he does have the dope yeah. little like John Lennon sunglasses. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the Outlaw Star, uh, Cowboy Bebop is, yeah. is kind, oh, of, right, kind of a Western right. tale, but it's, it's, I would put it into the same sort of, um, same sort of bin as the Mandalorian okay. and, and Firefly. Okay. Uh, but yeah, certainly there, there are Western anime and Western comic books, right? You, you talked about, yeah. uh, Jonah Hex. Yeah. I was thinking about the sixth gun, six guns, which is pretty rad. I'm reading that right now. Actually yeah. rereading that. Cool. Um, yeah, Pre- Preacher is, I would say, oh my god, um, yeah, a Western yeah, yeah. comic book. John Wayne comes up a lot in that book. That, that <laughs> is true. Yeah, he does. And, and the Saint of Killers is yep. like the the most Western that you can get. Yep. Yeah, some Batlash comics. I like some of those from the Silver oh, Age, yeah. the Bronze Age. That's your black and white Westerns, yeah. yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. that's the the flavor there. So, what, like as we're talking about this, something that I'm interested in 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 digging into also is like what makes for a real western is it a western aesthetic uh or basically like the trappings of of like the west or is it like the archetypical stories and the archetypical characters that we see here Mm. is it the spittoon or the man that spits into the spittoon uh, well, well said. Yeah, right on, dude. Yeah, I think that's that's good. Is it a six shooter or is it a, a samurai sword? Right, right, right. Yeah. So we read a western. We did. Yeah, we need to reel it back in, don't we? Oh no, I th- I, this it is kind of what I was hoping for our first episode. I mean, I think this is good because this this story is pretty short and punchy. We don't necessarily have like <laughs> crazy number of plot points to talk about here, uh, but it 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 moved at a clip, man. Like it was. Like all of ten pages out of uh, out of this one, right, John? Yeah, out of the end of the trail, yeah. Western stories from Bison Books. What did you say? It, it was in fifth gear the whole time. It is in fifth gear the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> it, it it takes off in fifth gear and it careens across the finish line in fifth gear. Um, Grizzly Elkins is a maniac and is probably <laughs> the most psychotic. Howard character that we've read about so far, and that is that is saying something. There, there, there have been. I mean, we've read all of the Solomon Kane stories. <laughs> he and Solomon Kane would have a good time. They would stab some people. They yeah. would stab some folks. Yeah, uh, we're in a cow town, as the name might imply. Lost shooters of cow town. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> uh, we've got a little kind of like opening ditty, I would say. The clamor of Cowtown Knights, boot heels stamping on sawdust strewn floors, thunder of flying hoofs down the dusty street, yipping of the lean trail drivers, reeling in the saddle, hilarious after a thousand mile trek, 
Cracking of pistols, smashing of glasses, flutter of cards on the tables, oaths, songs, laughter, and all the teeming saloons and dance halls, louder yet in the plank barred silver boot. It's a hoot nanny. It's a hoot nanny. The bar that we're in is the silver boot, which sounds like that's a good, I would, yeah, I would go for that. Yep. Um, and we open on Grizzly Elkin slapping a $20 gold piece down on a Monty game. So this is three card Monty. Uh, yeah. Like you're. The guy shows you a card. I don't know, and then man. Mixes I'm the three. I'm not a card expert. Is that I, what you I don't. Say? When when it said Monty, I wasn't sure what that was. Me either. I was hoping. I was counting on you guys. <laughs> Luke's the card. So uh, it's also known as Find the Lady or Three Card Trick. It's okay. a confidence game in which the victim or Mark is tricked into betting a sum of money on the assumption that they can find the money card. Right. So so, so you show them a card like the Queen of yeah. Hearts, and then you mix it with these two other cards. And then you, they're face down, and they have to pick which one it is. It makes sense maybe why they would target Elkins. As it says, he stood out even in the throng of tall men. He was hairy as a bear, burly and powerful as a bear. He's got a lot of bear I, I Actually, I, that, that, that turn of phrase, like as I read it the first time, I thought, well, that's kind of dumb. That was not necessarily good writing. But then I actually like I, I read it more slowly. Doc, my poor count is <laughs> that's that's his breed. He's he's, he, he's as powerful as a bear too. He's his, <laughs> uh, that using that that redundant term. It actually it it sings a little bit. It's it's a bit lyrical. I like it. It, it made me have a mental image of this guy a lot. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. burned dark as an Indian, and he wore buckskins and moccasins of an earlier day. So he probably looks like a. A chump, right? Like he looks like an easy mark because yep. he doesn't belong in the city such as it is named Cowtown. <laughs> now that you say it, it does kind of remind me of like the Davy Crockett song, right? Yeah, yeah. right, 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 right. Yeah. It, but he, it, he gets snookered. Yes. Right. Uh, yeah, he's he's took. He's a mark. He's a mark. You, but you described it as a cold blooded murder well, in a bar. <laughs> he, he he does not say I'm putting five dollars on this game. Right. Uh, he just plops his twenty dollar gold piece down and is like, "All right, I'm in." I play three card. And money. then, then he's like, "No, hold on, I want change." Well, that's not how the game works. You should have asked about the game. Jim Kirby. That's not how he plays. No, Jim no, Kirby is no the change. one playing the the cards, and he he says, "No, you can't have your money. I never give change." And he probably wishes he gave change. <laughs> he probably, well, he doesn't have the chance to wish. Get, yeah, because yeah. Grizzly Elkins leaps across the table and stabs him to death. With a butcher knife <laughs> that he carries in his <laughs> yeah. jacket. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it is in fifth gear from the opening shot. And this is what gets us into the jail, which is kind of where the plot unravels. Well, he gets shot. I mean. Which is the crazy thing. Yeah. Like, Not only does he stab and murder a dude, he's trying to get away and someone shoots him and, and the bullet grazes his head. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it's enough to knock him out. He does try to take off, and yeah, he I gets just, creased. I didn't want to slow the, no, the discussion down, but the dude gets shot. So what is your impression? I mean, you've kind of given it, I guess, is that he's the craziest mother effort he, we've he seen. He's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> he's crazy. And the cool thing is, like, I don't think he's a hero at all. Oh, no. No, like, he's not, not to save himself. But at the end, he's like, look look what I've done for this town. <laughs> <laughs> you murdered I, a lot of people. <laughs> You ruined Saturday night. The, the, the hoot nanny. Yeah. You ruined the hoot nanny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does he remind you of anybody? Is he kind of like? Would you? Do you have any analogous characters for him? 
I is think Wolverine. Uh, yeah, well, he might be Wolverine-ish. He's Conan-esque. Yeah, that's true. Uh, in that he goes into this town and doesn't know the rules and tries to fit in. And then when he perceives that he's being uh, belittled, he murders somebody. Like the beginning of the Tower of the Elephant, right? <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So he's murdered a guy. He's arrested and thrown in jail. And what does he find out while he's in jail? If you want to give like the quick beats. Well, you mean after he fights with his cellmates? Right. Yeah. And like rips his ear off and yeah. splinters his teeth. Uh, that the uh, the law in town's just thinly, thinly veiled because they themselves like have a history of being outlaws and they're currently using this as opposed to their other plan of like maybe lighting a house on fire and they were going to, they're going to go, they're robbing the bank. Like that's basically it. Like, yep. The the inversion here is that the law are actually the the thieves in the story, and they're using the inadvertent like ruckus that Grizz causes to uh, go like use that as the cover for their 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 heist. It doesn't seem like they need to. It seems like everybody in this town is drunk. Like, yeah, <laughs> drunk dancing and playing. Yeah, so they could have robbed a bank. The the really interesting thing to me about Elkins is that. Uh, even after like he stabs a guy and then rips another dude's ear off, um, like he's a rabid animal. <laughs> but when he uh gets told the plot, he's like, "But they're laws, like right. they're they're the they're the lawmen, right?" He's he's flabbergasted by this. He says, "Uh, uh, his he says, what are they planning to do?" Uh, rob the bank, answered Richards, who's a cellmate. I heard him talking about it. But they're laws, protested Elkins. I don't care. I know Chisholm in Nevada. Regular outlaw then, and I guess he ain't changing none. Who knows anything about Rogers? Ain't no telling what he's done before he come here. <laughs> Which reminds Elkins of uh, Hendry Brown, who came from Billy the Kid's gang to be the Marshal of Caldwell, and John Wesley Harden, who has a price on his head in Texas and was deputy sheriff in Abilene. You like that? Johnny Cash song, right? About John Wesley Harden. I right? do. I like some Bobby D, too. Yeah, some, say, some Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan oh, okay. album, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> John Wesley Harden. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> I appreciate it. Nah. So he finds this out, and he also learns that a mob is coming to right. the jail to enact mob justice. He can hear them coming from yeah. his neck. Which, to be fair, is what a mob does. Right. Right. I think... This so mob justice and a lynching like those are Western uh, uh, touchstones. Mm -hmm. I bet we'll come back to them. Yeah, like mob justice as a as a thing, and uh, you know a hanging. So anyway, I'm just gonna bookmark that because I think those. I think in this story we've got basically the things that happen include uh, like that that strike me as like plot devices for a western and not necessarily fitting into a type of western but just like plot devices for a western are uh a ruckus saloon Mm -hmm. uh dirty card game right right a dirty card game uh this uh mob justice uh lynching type like scene and then the the bank robbery like Mm -hmm. like if i think of dynamite in a western i think of like Dynamite blowing up train tracks or dynamite blowing a safe. Like mm-hmm. it's 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 one of those things. So he finds all this out and now he's gotta do something about it. And he's gotta get away from this mob. 
And this gets us to the part of the story, which is the reason that I picked it as our opener. And then I picked it as part of our list. So in the description that Rusty wrote, he says, there's a memorable brawl that has a lead pipe or a, a metal pipe involved, which I don't know that entirely does justice to what spills out on the page here where Breck or not Breckenridge Elkins, Grizzly Elkins tears one of his cell bars yeah, out of the wall. He tears one of the bars out of the wall <laughs> and then a- proceeds to use that bar to just beat the he the goes Thor on these guys. Yeah. <laughs> he uh, hulks out, tears it out of the wall, and do we want to read some of this? Like, yeah, go for it. Okay. Uh, the door splinters open, and they're all rushing in. They're going to kill him. They're going to hang him. And in an instant, all stood frozen as he faced them. An awesome figure, tousled, bloodstained, gigantic, with his blazing eyes and iron bludgeon. Then with a roar, he hurtled through the broken door and crashed into the thick of them. Yells of fury rose deafingly, mingled with howls of pain and fear. Torches waved wildly and went out. Guns cracked futilely. In that melee, no man could use a pistol effectively. And in the midst of them, Grizzly Elkins ravened like a blood-mad bear among sheep. Swinging the heavy bar like a club, he felt skulls cave in and bones snapped beneath its impact. Blood and brains spattered in his face. The taste of blood was in his mouth. It's not his blood. No, yeah, it's other people's. Men swarmed and eddied about him in the darkness. Bodies caroomed against him. Wild blows fanned him or glanced from his arms and shoulders. A better aimed or more lucky stroke crashed down on his head, filling his eyes with sparks of fire and his brain with momentary numbness. A blindly driven knife broke its point on his broad belt buckle and the dragged shard tore his buckskin and gashed his side raggedly. Hands clawed at him. Booted feet stamped about him. He tore, slugged, and ripped his way through a seething, surging sea of gasping, screaming, cursing humanity, ruthlessly smashing out right and left. That's a mouthful. Driving like a crazed bull, he plunged through a bewildered thong, leaving a wake of writhing, bloody figures to mark his progress. A dimly seen hand jammed a gun muzzle full into his belly, but even as he caught his breath, the hammer snapped on an empty chamber, and the next instant, the iron bludgeon fell, and the unknown gunman crumpled. Over his fallen form, Elkins leaped and got out. They don't even know that he's gone. They're all still like punching each other. So he jumps in the over. dark. <laughs> I just got this image of uh, Mario from Donkey Kong when, when he gets the hammer and is just like bashing <laughs> barrels. Yeah, I mean that's where we're at. That's Brecken. Or, dang, yeah. That's Grizzly, Grizzly Elkins. Grizzly Elkins. He's yeah. the, probably uh, uh, <coughs> he's probably Breck's cousin. He's right? got to be like, or like the the shitty mean uncle or something. Yeah. Right? <laughs> The one you don't want to see at Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The one that comes around and it's like there's a dark storm cloud overhead. Mm -hmm. He gets his horse and and he rides off and goes to the bank and he stops the robbery. Like, I mean, there's not a lot. Like you said, Luke, there's not a lot to the story. It's pretty simple. Mostly we're in it for this part where he beats people to death with an iron bar. There's like a page and a half of story after that where he stumbles upon these guys getting ready to blow up the bank vault. And he p- makes them pause, and it blows up and kills one of them. The other one he'd already killed. He'd blown his head off, right? Yeah. He uh, eviscerated the top of his skull. This has got, like, Joe Bob Briggs-style, like, uh, mm-hmm. like, like kill count. This is, a, this is a story that has, I don't know, it seems like a dozen people die. We don't know for sure, but demonstrably stabs a dude with a, with a Bowie, Bowie knife, kills the two uh, law dogs, and bashes the brains and beats the pulp out of right. 
countless others. I mean, definitely confirmed four kills. Yes. But probably multiple others, because he like, says he feels skulls. Plur- like plural skulls. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Have you guys seen Hobo with a Shotgun? I haven't, but <laughs> I could gather what it's about. It. Uh, this story reminds me of Hobo with a Shotgun. Like, Grizzly Elkins is Rutger Hauer's character in that movie. The The last paragraph is pretty great. He says to his horse, get along, Andrew Jackson. <laughs> I don't crave no words. <laughs> I don't crave no words with the people of this here town. I've saved their darn bank or anyways the money in it. And I've done rid them of a couple of law shooting thieves. But I don't reckon I'll try to explain. Things moves too fast for me in town anyway. It's us for the nations where nobody but Comanches yearns for our scalps. <laughs> well, back out so, into the wilderness. Well, but that depicts the wilderness as not being too much different mm-hmm. than than town, right? Like right. everyone's a barbarian here. It sounds like it's more honest though. And that's okay. a very that's a very Conan esque yeah. like kind of read on right. things. Like the barbarian says at least when I'm dealing with other barbarians, they're they're dealing straight with right. me. Mm-hmm. Like he's arrested and used as a, a pawn in these two dudes yeah. game. But out there it's like, well, yeah, these people hate me, but like it's an honest hate. I, yeah, I know, I know they hate me. I know. I know my scalp is is worth yeah. <laughs> worth keeping on my head. So of course I was reading this. I was like, in my mind, I'm like, he's gonna reach down and like pick up a wad of money that blew open with this safe and like and ride off with some sort of, sort of little quip. Like I guess I'm going over to Harris Casino. Uh, Harry, I'm <laughs> riding riding over to the the silver. This is the silver boot, right? Yeah, the right. silver boot. The silver dollar. Right. Like I'm going to go the next time over to right. the silver dollar and have or at least get it. a $20 gold piece to replace the one he lost. Right. <laughs> to Bull Town. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to Bull Town. <laughs> Bullberg. Yeah. <laughs> do we like it? What What do we like about it if we do? I did like it, yeah. but I don't know why. Yeah, um, I can't, I can't, I can't dislike this because it was so short, man. Right. I mean, I, how like how long did it take you guys to read this? Oh, no, yeah. yeah, yeah, twenty minutes maybe. Yeah. yeah, I like read it while uh, while my son was like messing around with a Lego. Like he was like like playing with his Lego set, and I read this thing probably in that mm. that fifth, like less than a thirty minute right. cartoon. Like this thing was done and. It was kind of like a cartoon. It was kind of like, <laughs> like, like a cartoon, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like it was just so. Maybe quick. it could be the future of Primal. You were talking about that cartoon. Oh my god! Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Did you watch all of Primal? I did. Okay. Yeah, I've only watched the first one. I need to see it. Oh yeah, it was it was it was up there. It was my my second thing probably because it just really rocked me. I watched it over two nights in sequence. Would Grizzly uh, Elkins have fit in there? From what I've seen, man. Yeah, yeah I mean that, that that type. Yeah, yeah. it is so very good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I liked it because it's just so absurd. Right. Like, it, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the I don't know. I, I I'm I'm struggling to come up with where what kind of western this is. If we're if we're doing our you know categorization right. of westerns and and we're doing our phylogeny or whatever like where does this fall i don't i don't know outlaw outlaw, i guess luke pointed out some of the tropes but like overall i guess it's an outlaw story like certainly grizzly elkins is an outlaw it's so scant that it's it's hard to pigeonhole because it really is just like 
an excuse for a saloon brawl, mm-hmm. then a prison bra- brawl, then like a, a mob justice brawl, <laughs> and then resolution with dynamite. And like right. that's like resolution that's, that's, with dynamite that's, that's, is our that's like, a new band name. That's our that's our <laughs> that's our murder bluegrass <laughs> band name. Yeah, it, it's almost a revenge story though. I mean, like he is wronged. Mm-hmm. Is at he least, though? He's he's wrong well, by being used as a pawn. I would say. I mean, how like, is he being used as a pawn though? Like these guys, they see him as an opportunity. Like, oh well, he killed a dude. Now we're gonna. Well, but is the opportunity being taken advantage of, or is the dude being taken advantage of? Like, both. I would. I mean, okay. like they didn't corner him into it. I guess per se. So I see what you're saying. I think, but. It's just like he's the thunderstorm that comes into town. Like, he's he's he the Joker. He's the Joker that's, from the Dark Knight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and everyone has just taken advantage that, of it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. So, but we would say people should maybe give it a check. That's out. a blast. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you, you again, like for fifteen twenty minutes of your time. I mean, <laughs> you can't do worse. I mean, I'm interested. I was intrigued by it just because, as somebody that's read, I think you haven't read the Breckenridge Elkins. No, so no none of them. There, there are some similarities here. Like it is almost as cartoony as those things are. Okay. Like some of the weird beats that we get, where things blow up and he gets up and walks away. Like that stuff happens with Breckenridge Elkins a lot, where he just is in these weird scenarios. And it's used to comedic effect here, whereas in this one, it's used to this like chaotic neutral effect or so. I don't know what you would give. His D and D classification well, yeah. as yeah, I don't know. He he walks away from crazy things, right? And it, it is almost cartoon. It's almost like you could see Chuck Jones's name being on the animated <laughs> version yeah. of this or something. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. It is. It's hard to classify. Yeah, I re- I did like it because up to this point, I mean, we've read like historical and sort of Oriental slash like so called like. Eastern, like the the Eastern stories, like what we covered uh, with with the uh, you know the road east, like you get this is written differently than the historical stuff. It's yeah. it's it's mm-hmm. it's not funny, but it is far more like the the word that's sticking in my head is like jocular, like it's 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 rambunctious, uh, and to see him like use a variety of terms, like say for the 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 law dogs in town. Right. He he used so many different like descriptors for that. It was fun knowing what I know about westerns. Otherwise, to just see how colorful like Howard could be right. writing this kind of stuff, and he even writes in the vernacular a little bit like hands up, you all instead of hands up. Right. So yeah, which is another Elkinsy kind of bit. So so that juxtaposed with the absolute like amoral character of of i'm gonna call him grizz like like of, of grizzly elkins of grizz elkins like it's it was an interesting read like i don't know how much whenever we get to him or like at what point we read the breckenridge elkins elkins like more humorous stuff if right. i'll if i'll enjoy them the whole way through i bet i'll enjoy the first handful uh, I think we're only reading one or two. One or two, yeah. yeah. Okay, so we're yeah. gonna. Okay, okay. Yeah. But I mean, like in future seasons too. Like right. if yeah. we're reading like like more of them, it seems like that's the kind of thing where with the humor it could get. Again, I don't know, but like some level of redundancy. But like mm-hmm. this having that weird chaotic sort of amoral fiber made it more like shocking. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does. Yeah. Um, 
I especially liked the vernacular, like you guys have, have keyed into. Um, and I can hear, like, when I when I read this, especially when I read it out loud, like my Eastern Kentucky accent <laughs> really comes out because it, it's kind of natural. Right. It's, it's not, like, I can hear the voice of this character because I know people who sound like this guy, you right. know? <laughs> yeah. He, the character, strikes me as this weird marriage between... Steve Costigan, Conan the Barbarian, and I, I don't know who else. At least those two. Right. Um, because we get uh, this this crazy scene with him bashing people's head in with a makeshift mace. Right. But then we get this intimate like fist fight that is a bare-knuckle underground boxing thing that Costigan might right. have been involved with. Um, and so I thought the story was cool from that perspective. We get a little boxing, we get a little like uh Grizz kind of wading through opponents with a mace. Yeah. The single-mindedness of Solomon Kane perhaps. Maybe, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm going over that bank. See what's going on. Yeah. Well, cool. So I'm glad we I'm glad we enjoyed it. I hope yeah. it was a good first choice for the I think this was here. a killer first choice like <laughs> as a as a quick little Howard like vignette like it really was like a little vignette yeah uh it was good and I think it was a fun way to sort of introduce the season too yeah, yeah. we're blowing open the safe of That's season right. 11 That's with right. some dynamite <laughs> where are we headed next boss uh, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> Buffalo Josh you got me there hang, hang on a minute <laughs> hang on there uh, is next the Lamore? I don't, I don't remember. Uh, no, it's the most stagecoachiest stagecoach story. Stagecoach. Stage. <laughs> there's. I, I don't think there's going to be coke in this story. Stagecoach. <laughs> it's the Stage to Lordsburg by Ernst Haycox, as published in the Saturday Evening Post in 1937. Uh, quoth the John, called by some the greatest stagecoach stage. <laughs> Stage. <laughs> I can't. I can't help it. The, the stagecoach. The stagecoach. Called by some the greatest stagecoach story ever written. This short story also served as the inspiration for John Ford's stagecoach. Pulp writer. Lots of stories. This one's in the 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 public domain. Looks like. Yeah, from the University yeah. of Arizona. Whoop. Thanks, Wildcats. I. What's he? What's uh? What's uh? What's Ron Burgundy say? How now, brown cow? How now? How brown. now? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Enunciate. Sorry. <laughs> Jesus. You're Somebody doing. else should have been quicker on the draw. You're doing great. But a bump bump. <laughs> You're doing great. <laughs> You're doing great. So that's about it, right? Seems like it. Just right. that smoke wagon. I'm psyched. Are you guys psyched about this? This season? This is different. It is different. Yes. Yet, yet. I like the feelings that we all kind of talked about at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Like, I feel like we're all coming at it from very different angles for Westerns. Yeah. And I, you you are our, our spiritual leader for it. <laughs> Me? Yeah. This is your this is your No, I mean here. I picked the stories, but I you like like I said, you were the one that proselytized Westerns to me. Like Dude, I would I, never have watched Unforgiven if you hadn't lent me the D V D and kinda opened this Pandora's box for me. I love I love me some Westerns. I want some I, I like just I mean, this gets at the whole like appeal of, of S and S and everything else, but that we've kind of hit on here, but like like Jungian and these very stark archetypes, the sort of primal evocative characterizations. It's just it, like, I love 
storytelling as a broad thing. And I think Westerns are a quintessential way to tell stories in a very emotionally resonant, but yet very quick uh, fashion. Yeah. Like there's, you don't have to do a whole lot of work other than slap a black hat or a white hat on a character or give them a name or don't give them a name to kind of like paint pictures. Close your eyes and listen to this line from a, a Western story. Ready? Okay. The man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed. Yeah. And you see those characters, right? You see the setting. It's it's like eight words and you know everything. You're caught up. Right. Yep. You're in it. So that's um, where we're heading. That's where we're heading. Yeah. The staged Lordsburg. Let's catch that stagecoach. By uh, by uh, Haycox. Yeah. Er- Ernest Haycox, which is a good Western author name. His. Yeah. Uh, Published in 1937, so we're gonna 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 get into some more pulps and keep this wagon train a rolling. Yeah, we'll see you all a little bit further down the road west.
can't stop the bleeding before it starts I'll leave a trail of fire across this desert Just to see the desperation in your heart Oh, wait, Twitty.